You're listening to The DAP Project. I am Londa Elizabeth. And I am Aaron Stallworth. The DAP Project is a podcast that explores culture and politics through DAP, the Black man's most nuanced and telling gesture. Our guest today on the podcast is Nife Olufosoye, Organizing Director of Black Futures Lab. Nife learned to be resilient when he tried out for the school basketball team and realized that reaching LeBron status takes a little bit of practice. Actually, it takes a lot of practice. The ability to bounce back is critical to Nife's work as an organizer. He doesn't win every campaign, but he remains hopeful that American democracy can deliver on its promise. Let's get to it. All right, y'all ready to kick it off? Yes. <laughs> All right, we want to take a quick moment to welcome our latest guest to the DAP Project, Mr. Nife Olufosoye. Welcome to the DAP Project. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Um, it's great to finally connect with you, Aaron and Rhonda. Um, you know, it's been a long journey for us to finally connect, but I'm glad we finally got a chance to have this conversation. Tell me, what is your first memory of DAP? Oh, my first memory, memory of DAP. I think it had to be with the elders uh, in my community in Nigeria. Uh, we got this, this phrase called modobale, and that's like when you like prostrate for your for your elders and for grandmas and fathers and your mothers and your your uncles and stuff like that so so it's a way to show respect one and then it's followed by a handshake so usually you know bow to them and then you know once they accept your your greeting then you go in for the for the dap then that transition to me living in the states where I learned what the African-American version of ADAPT is, you know, we grip, you know, fold the palms. Then I became an alpha. Then it's a whole nother handshake that's, right. you know, part of fraternity as well. So <laughs> went through transitions with the with ADAPT as well. <laughs> nice, nice. My life is definitely a story of transition. Um, I was born in uh, Lagos, Nigeria, or specifically Yaba State. I immigrated from Lagos to Wisconsin when I was eight years old. Actually turned nine on the plane ride wow. over here. Uh, landed in Chicago in the middle of the winter. Cold as that. <laughs> right. Wow. Winter. Why did they do a brother uh, like that? Yeah, I was like, out of all the places we could have, like, you know, <laughs> landed in Chicago. And then from there, we uh, moved to, to Milwaukee. Went to college in Milwaukee and then uh, did a lot of great organizing work in Wisconsin and moved to Texas about two years ago. So definitely been been traveling all over. I lived in D.C. for a little bit, too. So my story just about traveling all over. Any noticeable differences between the Milwaukee slash Texas slash Chicago DAP? <laughs> oh, man. I, I, um, my experience in the South is folks are definitely more relational here. Uh, it's a it's a tight community, uh, which I definitely appreciate. It reminds me of home, actually, to a certain extent. Uh, home being Lagos, so it's like you know the the reverence we have have for for elders is the same thing I see, you know, at a barbecue in Texas or something like that, uh, or somebody having a cookout or something like that. 
So, um, yeah, I definitely kind of see the ties there, <laughs> but also the difference because it's in an American American context there. Yeah, East Texas is home for me, so I, I definitely know what you mean by what you're saying about those barbecues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So season four of the DAP project is about resilience. And we think of resilience as having three core elements, a hope for something, a setback and a recovery. Mm. How do you think about resilience? Does that sound like the way that you have experienced resilience? Oh man, I would definitely agree um, with that. Um, I remember when we, when we first immigrated to the United States and we hoped that, you know, my mom and myself would be able to attain our citizenship and be able to fully participate within this democracy. Um, but as we uh, experienced life in America, that transition wasn't exactly what we hoped for, right? So we had to, to be re resilient during those times and um, be patient, um, but also stay focused on, on the goal. So I think the, the definition that you pose is definitely, you know, mirroring my, my experience with it. And uh, it seems like the decision point that's like tied to resilience is always like the, the consistency and uh, focus that you, that you keep to whatever the end goal that you're, that you're pursuing is. So, yeah, I agree there. Yeah, I know in our teenage years and those, you know, those formative years, we experience setbacks that kind of tend to really teach us something. Any particular moments come to mind for you? Mm, this is funny, but so y'all get a kick out of this. I was like in the fifth grade in Wisconsin, and then uh, I was a big basketball fan, and I was like, you know, very athletic. So I was like, I'm gonna try out for the for the basketball team <laughs> and see see if I can make it. Now I've never played basketball in my entire life. Never bounced the basketball. Never <laughs> shot basketball. But in my mind, I'm like. I'm going to be on the A team. I'm going to be on varsity. <laughs> you just have big dreams. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, I went to, went to tryouts. Coach was like, oh, you got to be on the B team, dog. Uh, <laughs> 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 so I def that was definitely a moment of like, okay, as a kid, you know, you take a step back. Like, okay, I got I to gotta work on my skills a little bit. I'm not just going to, you know, try something and just be good at it automatically. So I think that kind of sports was definitely a, a lens for me to, to understand resilience at an early age, for sure. Did you think you were going to walk on the court and be Jordan? Like <laughs> right away or LeBron? Did you think that that's just how it works? Like, like the memories are just flashing in my head. And I remember we had like a, a drill where you had to like dribble up and down the court. And I was watching the other guys do, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that looked kind of easy." I was, <laughs> I was gonna... <laughs> it was, it was all bad. It was all bad. I had like a little uh, Vince Carter poster on my on my wall, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> so with Vince looking down on you, you thought, "Surely I got skills. <laughs> like I got this poster. I look at him. He looks at me. I'm about to do this." <laughs> you know I got the shoes like <laughs> not the <Yeah>. shoes <laughs> so so being on that b team 
You see how Aaron emphasized the B team. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I was a, a JV dude too. You know, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> how did how did that uh, shift? You know how how you moved in the world, realizing that you can't just jump on the court and be a team ready. Yeah, it definitely just it just reinforced the fact of like working work on your craft, work on your skill. And then, you know, if you grind and uh, stay consistent, stay focused on those goals, you'll eventually be able to make it to, you know, where you want to be. So eventually, you know, once I, once I met, went to middle school and all that, you know, I finally was able to get on the varsity team and, and all that good stuff. But I definitely had to grind <laughs> before I <finished>. <laughs> <laughs> So earlier you mentioned this really interesting phrase, and we're going to get into it deeper, that you and your mom were hoping to participate in this thing called democracy. It seems like your interest in government politics runs really deep. We're curious about where that started. What incident prompted that interest? Yeah, I definitely think my, my immigration to, to the United States kind of had an effect on me and maybe be more politically engaged. I think at the time we we came here in like 2002 and that was a year coming off of September 11th. So at that time, America was very politically charged. And to a certain extent, there was some uh, anti-immigrant sentiments within the country. So as like a kid growing up during that time and having parents trying to navigate the system, it was very apparent to me that were cultural barriers, societal barriers to my existence. And then as you you get older and then just having black skin, there's another layer added to that that I had to, you know, learn about as well. So I think those two, that experience specifically coupled with just my maturation process within within America kind of led to just me just being being very politically active. I was definitely that that kid when I was 16, you know, tabling at various social events, trying to get. My, my colleague, not my colleague, but my uh, my, <laughs> my fellow students, uh, you know, come to a, a volunteer opportunity or something like that or a neighborhood cleanup. So it's like we have to do something to change the, the current uh, way black folks are treated. And I was always trying to find an answer to 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 address that. And I think activism just became an answer for me. So. How did you know that your voice mattered at such an early age? Mm, I, I didn't know. I think I was just, I just had mentors and then I had, I had uh, friends whose interests were aligned with mine. Um, and I think those two things, you know, with the mentors, I had a mentor at a, at a place called Urban Underground um, and they, they lead a lot of campaigns around gun violence, teenage pregnancy, a, whole, a myriad of different things. So we would just meet up on like Wednesdays and Thursdays and just sit around the table and talk about issues like I've never been in a space like that and I was also an only child so a lot of my curiosity was internal and there wasn't really much space to express it to people my same age once I kind of found that space I was like this is exactly where I need to be so uh, from then my, my mentor decided to run for office and he was like you want to be my campaign manager I was like what's a campaign manager he's like you just make sure you know we, we get we get volunteers in the office and basically you run the whole show for, for me getting elected. I was like, okay, I'll do, I'll do it for free. Like you, you're, wait, 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 Yeah. Time out on the court. So yeah. your response was what's a campaign manager and you still got the job. 
Yeah. That is bananas. (laughs) (laughs) They saw the talent. They saw the talent. So so after high school, I studied, you know, political science in college. Um, I did biology for a little bit, but that was not what that didn't hold my attention long. So I was actually interning in D.C. for a little bit with my congresswoman, Congresswoman Gwen Moore. And she really like pushed me to do things locally once I returned home. And she was like, hey, that's where you're going to be able to make your strongest contribution is at the local level and the state level. So as soon as I made it back home, I was like, I got to do something to, to organize within the city. So that was when I got in touch with my, with my mentor who was running for office. And, I, and hey, maybe that's the fault of mine. I went through a political science degree and I didn't learn about <laughs> what the campaign manager was. So from, from that point forward, I, you know, you learn about the community behind the wall of politics once you kind of get your first, your first step, step in it. Because to a certain extent, political organizing can be very uh, insulated from a professional level. So that him affording me the opportunity and seeing that whatever talent or ability to adapt to new situations or curiosity uh, was immense in my development. And we ended up winning that race, which the the, the wind in my back to like, okay, I can I can actually apply my mind to something from scratch, build it up and actually be successful at it. And uh, yeah, from then on, I just, you know, kept going. Former President Barack Obama was rising to prominence around the time that you were formulating your political orientation. So how did his political ideology, his call for hope, yes, we can shape your political orientation? Yeah, so I was like, that was 06. So I had to be in middle school uh, or just beginning high school when he got elected. And I think at that time, like most of my teachers at the time in middle school and in high school were mostly white folks. I don't think I had a black teacher in middle school, not you know, in high school. So most of like my political education just came from what I saw on TV, honestly. And seeing Barack Obama as that figure, a black man that was, you know, at the highest position in, in the country was very inspirational for me. And it let me know like, okay, the sky is not the limit. We can go far beyond that. Even at that age, I wasn't like, I didn't know the politics of Barack Obama, right? I didn't know like, okay, he's advocating for affordable health care, or he's advocating for immigration reform. I just saw the visual, I saw hope, and I was like, okay, I see myself within the political system. And sometimes as a, yeah. as a kid, that's really all you need. We're growing our understanding of what it means to be politically active outside of campaign seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, At Black Futures Lab, they engage the Black community year-round through organizing. What are the fundamentals in your mind of political organizing? I would say the fundamentals are research, identifying your goals. I'll say project management and experimentation. I would say research is really important because one before you uh, identify your issue, you want to have to one think through the community that you're going to potentially be organizing. What are their needs? What are they asking for? What's going to make their lives better? So you need to do a lot of research in order to understand those things. Then just goal setting and project management is going to be even more important because once you identify your issue, once you identify the community that you're going to be working within, 
you have to then think through how are you going to scale out and build your your campaign or build out your movement. And then on the last piece is experimentation. So the same things in the 1950s aren't going to work in, in 2020. And how are we kind of building on those learning lessons, on those tactics and strategies that work and improving up, improving upon them to, to be effective now? And then always assessing performance and, and tactics and strategies along the way. One thing that, that we've learned is that you can't just talk to people when you want something from them. And I think that's been a nature of, of politics for a long time now, is that you know, you only hear something from your mayor when he's trying to run for office again. You only hear from your senator when he needs your vote uh, in November. Um, but as we think through the work that we do and how we actually um, engage Black communities, we have to meet folks where they're at. And that has to be any and every time <laughs> we have to be showing up. So whether it's on Juneteenth or whether it's in, in Black August, those days don't necessarily resonate with the typical political calendar, but we still need to show up because those communities are still being affected by, you know, a myriad of different issues. So that's why, one, we, we do our organizing year round, but also in order to build the capacity that it takes to win on a lot of the policies that we need, we need to be engaging people regularly and educating them. And that education process can sometimes takes take some years before someone actually it clicks in someone's head to, okay, I'm going to go out there and take some type of action. We did some polling back in the day. They found out like sometimes you need to talk to people six times before they go and vote. And it can't just be like on election day or a week before election day. It needs to be like, okay, we spoke in January about this. You know, there's this person's running for office. You want to show up at this uh, town hall, they'll be speaking. You can ask some questions. Okay, boom. Well, the primary season is over. I know you voted in the primary, but there's also a general election. Let's talk about what a general election is and then having those conversations as well. Yeah. And you can even break that down along the issue piece of it as well. It feels like you become friends with these folks, the people with whom you are organizing or mobilizing. If you talk with them six times over the course of a year or anything yeah. more than like a three month period of time and you're calling them back and calling them. Does it feel like that? Do you build that yeah, kind of relationship? Yeah, it's definitely a family. Um, organizing is highly relational. Um, it's about being people, people centric. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're not going to be an effective organizer if you're not um, able to work closely with people and support them and develop them. Um, and that's one thing I really loved about the work I do as well. I remember when I was working in Wisconsin and we had like a, like the, I would say we had the best office in the whole state, but, uh, but we had like everybody's auntie was always at our office right. and like hookouts. Uh, they bring us food all the time. We, we just had like a great time every day. Yeah. And that was just due to the relationship that we had with, you know, all of our, all of our folks that, that were coming in and, and, and organizing with us. What about your cultural background growing up in the village for that period of time that you were there, prepared you or set you up well to do this kind of work? It seems that there's a direct alignment. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in Lagos and, you know, where we were at, we had a tight community. For me, it was like my neighbor raised me too. My neighbor was my nurse. That was where I got food from. If my mom had any issues, my mom could go to her and then vice versa. My mom was basically the same thing for for her kids as well. 
from that that young age and those experiences, it just instilled in me one the importance of relationship building, um, developing trust with folks, and being dependable. And I think the same thing applies to to organizing. One, you got to be dependable to people. You have to be able to, to talk to them and and dig below the surface. It, you can't just have a a surface level relationship with people uh, when you're in an organizing space. You really have to know the folks that you're working with. And I think my experience back home maybe gave me a leg up and some of, and helped me develop some of those skills and, and the work that I'm doing right now. Can you think of a campaign that you may have had tremendous hope for and ultimately didn't really go the way you expected or wanted it to? And, and political organizing, you lose more than you win. <laughs> That's just the, nature, the nature of it sometimes. Wait, are you always on the B team then when it comes to political organizing and the <laughs> winners are the A team? Yeah, I feel like that. But, <laughs> but we do have our moments where, you know, we're able to show up in the real way and beat the A-team or, or so-called. Um, that actually reminds me of the the campaign for my mentor that, that I was talking about earlier, where one of his opponents was, was backed by a billionaire at the time. And uh, they were putting a lot of funds into their campaign. Another one of the candidates was being endorsed by one of the most prominent elected officials within the state. So we had a lot stacked against us and, you know, we were still able to push, <laughs> push, our, push them over the line. Uh, oh, this, in, in the that. campaign that you did win, right? Yeah, in the campaign nice. I did win. In contrast to that, I remember we were, we were leading a campaign around clean drinking water in Wisconsin. So um, Milwaukee has an issue similar to, to Flint, Michigan, uh, when we think about uh, lead and different particulates leaching into the drinking water, specifically Black communities. But that was the, the focus of, of the campaign I was organizing around the time. So I remembered we had, we had a, a Republican governor at the time, and one of the major issues that we're facing was the state not allowing cities to levy the the funds that they receive from taxes towards lead abatement projects. So from that, we realized like, okay, there's only so much pressure that we can put on the city um, to get this issue addressed until we have to pick a fight with the governor and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and work on the issue at a state level. So that, that year we got the mayor to put some funds towards, you know, uh, lead abatement in the city. But in the back of my mind, I knew the bigger fight was getting a new governor in place in order to make sure the issues that Black communities were facing got addressed. We were happy with that small victory, but it really wasn't what we what we wanted, right? In 2018, I was like, boom, the governor is up for election. We about to get him out of here. <laughs> 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 so we were able to do that, which was exciting. And, you know, we had hopes and dreams that this new governor that we elected will put some policies in place to address the issue of clean drinking water. And that issue is still, you know, a problem that Black communities are having in, in Milwaukee till this day. We have had some, you know, funding put towards it, but it's not at the level needed in order to properly address the issue in a comprehensive way. So um, that was definitely a situation where I was like, I had hope that, okay, Got we got a new governor in place. We got a mayor that's on board. All the organizations within the coalition know what the the next steps are, um, and we're super knowledgeable on how to to bring those those campaign goals to, to fruition. But but now we just have to go go back to the drawing board and figure out what are the next steps that we need to take in order to get this this issue addressed. 
it sounds like that's really where the grind part comes in that you mentioned earlier through your basketball experience that the win isn't guaranteed and it's not immediate, but you do have to do this practice, practice, practice to actually get that win. Isn't, is there an area of political organizing where you find that you are especially talented or you've really honed your craft after a lot of repetition and practice? Yeah, I really love research and I really love applying like different models to, to the political system and the and our organizing approach and thinking through how we can like leverage knowledge to do this work more effectively. Oh, tell uh, us more about that. Yeah, so um, there are different like models that, that our researchers develop um, that help you think through what are the best uh, messaging to use when you're talking about a certain issue. This seems like so long ago, but we were having the whole conversation around abolish ICE, abolish police versus folks saying invest and divest. One is a little bit more politically palatable than the other, but they're essentially saying the same thing. And the one is just having a little bit more nuance to it. So I love thinking through ways that we can make different issues more accessible for folks. And research has really supercharged my ability to do that. Persistence is definitely another thing that I have. I think that's also a skill that you have to build as well that I had to learn over time of just being tenacious. Like sometimes an email is not going to do it. Sometimes a, a call isn't going to do it. Sometimes you got to just show up to people's places. Me <laughs> 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 be like, you going to vote today. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> you are coming to this meeting today. <laughs> get your coat, get your purse. Let's go. I will pick you up. I will give you a ride, whatever you need, but this is happening. So I had to, I definitely enjoy that, that experience of, developing that muscle to be to be consistent especially in those times of of doubt or apprehension yeah what about when folks seem to have lost hope especially in the the years that we just came out of that that is always a tough conversation that that reminds me of the conversation i was having with a lady in 2016 uh, when hillary was running against uh, donald trump and I was speaking to this lady on the phone. I was like, you know, we should, you should vote. You should turn out and get more politically engaged. And she was like, honey, I got real issues that I'm dealing with. Like, um, I'm trying to help my son get on his feet. I think she was dealing with a lot of like, you know, family issues, um, money issues at the time. And voting was like last thing on her mind. And I was like, I completely understand that. Like, <laughs> voting is definitely would be the last thing on my mind if I, if I was, you know, experiencing something so close to my heart there. But um, I knew at the same time that she needed a, a space that um, that one allowed her to tap into into a certain part of her that she might have just ignored as a result of the, the pain and turmoil that she was experiencing there during that time. So I was like, hey, we got a campaign office. If you, you know, ever just want to step outside the house, come come, you know, be in a, in a good, good space and community with folks. And I always just stayed in touch with her, you know, outside of just like just organizing or trying to get her to turn out to vote just to check in like, Hey, how's everything doing? You know, you know, what's going on here. So like to your point earlier about like you build a relationship with people. Um, I think a, a true organizer kind of knows how to kind of, okay, let me leave the work aside and actually talk to this person as a human to human and, and help them 
um, kind of overcome, you know, whatever issue that they're going going through as well. I think organizers also have like a therapist in them somewhere as well. Yeah, that's with all the issues, you know, our communities are facing, you know, is beyond just, you know, voting is, is you know, yeah. a lot of internal stuff. So how are we kind of working folks through that to get them to the level where they want to, where they feel empowered to get, you know, politically engaged? That's yeah. also right there too. We had a lot of hope when we elected Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Are right. we winning? Yeah, I think it's it depends on how we uh, define winning, right? I would say, one, Black folks are more politically engaged than ever before through the, through the 2020 election and us just having that time to sit back and reflect on what was happening politically. So I, I count that as a win. I think over the past year, folks really got to um, reevaluate the lives that they were living, right? Like, do I want to show up at this at this factory job that's not paying me enough to do all the things that they're asking me to do and think through other ways that they can uh, economically provide for their family? And I think that's the win because now folks can just step back and really assess what are their needs and what they feel is the best way to go about having that being met without having that compulsory thing on their back to show up to a work to a to a workspace that they didn't particularly like. So I think that's a win there. When we think about, you know, policies that have been enacted that, you know, impact our uh, Black communities in a positive way, I would say the policies that were passed around this economic stimulus was a win for us. And I think it also gives advocates a pathway to get more uh, resources and funding allocated to Black communities. So I count, count that as a win. We have the American Jobs Plan um, that's about to be, that's being debated right now and being and being detailed. And within those, within that plan, there are a lot of policies in there um, that affect Black communities in, in a great way. There's also the CTC tax credit that a lot of people don't know about, um, the child tax credit that are, that's going to benefit a lot of single Black mothers and providing them with the funds that they need to, to take care of their kids, especially right when we have back to school happening. And, mm-hmm. and Gotta buy know, those notebooks, those uniforms. Notebooks and, and all that good stuff. You know we like the good stuff. So that's I'm, right. glad. <laughs> I'm glad. That, <laughs> you know, the those, black and the brown shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would count those things as a win, but there's still more to be done, right? Um, there's still, I think the, the same communities that have been experiencing uh, historical marginalizations are still experiencing it. Those things have not changed. Um, so we still have a ways to go before we can say, okay, you know, black, black folks can fully participate within this democracy. And I think that's what, that's one of the goals of, of you know, Black Futures Lab is to empower black folks to be more, to be fully, to be not, not I wouldn't say fully engaged, but be able to fully participate within this democracy. I think we're we're a long ways away from there. If that's our ultimate, you know, goal and our our guiding light there. When you get a win, as we talk about some of the wins you get, it's like an adrenaline boost. You know, you can go on to the next one because I just got this win. When you get a loss, it could be incredibly deflating. Right. But with wins or losses, you still have to refuel. What do you tap into to, to refuel yourself and to remain resilient as you continue to organize? Yeah, self-care is is super key uh, with their activism. I think you, you lose a lot of great organizers as a result of them just being burnt out um, from, from them not taking care of themselves. 
for me, um, I, I always set a time in a day where I'm closing my laptop. Like I'm not looking at no more emails after this certain time. Uh, I think that's a, a way for me to uh, maintain a healthy um, boundary within my personal life and the, and the work that I do. Sometimes it bleeds over, but I try my best to keep those two things separate. Um, getting out to nature is, is also big for me. Um, I love going on hikes. Uh, I got a goal of like um, going to all the national parks within the country one day. Started out with Big Ben in Texas uh, a few months ago. So that was pretty fun. Um, so I love getting out in nature. Sports is also a big part of my life. So I'm always either at the court or going to the to the gym and doing some type of conditioning workout. And then just relying on my network and my friends. Um, a great deal of my friends are, are organized as well. So um, whenever I'm experiencing anything negative, I always give them a call like, hey, blah, 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 are you having some type similar experiences? Like what's going on in your space, the world? So we kind of build a little community where we can kind of like lift each other back up whenever we might be experiencing anything. Yeah. So, so what's your soundtrack? What, what song is on repeat in these moments of resilience and refueling? Oh, what song is on, on repeat? Yeah, put us so, on. Yeah, so I'm pretty young, so y'all sorry. Yeah, I know. Are y'all listening to uh that's recent, why you gotta uh, put us on? Yeah. <laughs> Rhonda. Uh, Rhonda, I don't know how here she is. <laughs> you hear him shading me? You hear- oh that's- it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, so um I listen to I listen, I like uh Lil Baby, he's an artist out of Atlanta. Yeah. And then his music. Um, you know, it's like the you know typical rap stuff, but he's also been like progressing in the subject matter that he's been that he's been covering with his music. So I listen to a lot, a lot of his stuff. Who's that? Who's that guy from uh, Chicago? Polo G, similar type of artist. On the R and B side, I listen to Snow Allegra. I don't know if y'all y'all heard oh, yeah. her. Oh yeah. Okay, come on now, give me a little credit. Just okay, okay. Run to, run to put the Depth Project on early to Snow Allegra. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Snow Snow is dope. I love that track that the baby put out during you know the the, the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement of the summer of 2020. Uh, but is there any one track that you like? Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, it's definitely by Burner Boy. Okay. And it's called uh, Anybody. So basically, like, anybody could get it. <laughs> <We know>. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, just, that just picked me up. He's uh, Afro. Afro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know Burner Boy. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. that, you know uh-huh. he's the, uh, the nephew of Fela Kuti. His that man. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Know that, Oh, Burner Boy is the nephew of Fela Kuti. Yeah, so that, that, I didn't know. that, that kind of yeah. lineage there of like, you know, fighting against, you know, oppressive political systems, which is, yeah. I find interesting now, now my generation is picking up on, on that. Mm-hmm. And, so I love Burner Boy. What is the one win that you really want to accomplish either in the near future or the long term, the one that if you get this win, if you check it off, you will feel like you have done what you were called to do. Mm-mm. That's a great question. I think I think for for me, uh, it's all one of my biggest political goals is tied to to Nigeria, of like uh, 
I think one is like equality of opportunity for, for young folks in Nigeria. You know, there are millions of, of young people in Nigeria that, um, that don't have access to the opportunities I have um, and can't even fathom the, the life that, that I have, that's been afforded to me through the efforts of my parents um, to get us over here. Um, so if there's any, if there's anything that I could do politically to, to, to lift what the floor is for them um, and provide um, the opportunities for them to succeed in and leave, live out their dreams. I feel like check that, check that off the list for me right there. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. It's absolutely worth the wait. Yeah, that was great connecting with you all. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for pouring into the DAP project. And we look forward to talking again. All right. You all have a great one. And, uh, <laughs> all right. Awesome. Peace. Take care, brother. I loved that conversation with Nife and deeply appreciate his honesty. Our purpose in exploring resilience is to learn strategies to keep moving forward as we encounter setbacks. Nife underscored the importance of working in relationship to achieve our goals. I'll take that with me. You can follow Nife and the work of the Black Futures Lab at. Okay, so you can find me on Facebook at Nife Olufasoye. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I think it's under King Nife. And then same thing on Instagram as well. And you're accepting friends and, or are you no new friends? Oh yeah, definitely. A, uh, <laughs> right. I'm always looking to, you know, learn from folks. You know, I'll definitely be the person that'll sculpt your page first though. Don't you know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're a smart man. Smart man. Uh, understand. Respect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm always looking forward to meeting and connecting with new people for sure. For sure. Before we go, we want to remind you of our August selection of TDPB Reading. This month's book is Chocolate City, Race and Democracy in the Nation's Capital by Musgrove and Ash. I am really digging this book. You really are. And I got to shout you out, Aaron Harvey, for making good progress on those 470 pages. I'm quite proud of myself. We are delighted to welcome Professor Musgrove back to the pod. We have questions about protests and politics in D.C., and Professor Musgrove has answers. Remember to shop at Black-owned bookstores. If you're in D.C., we suggest Loyalty Bookstore, Mahogany Books, and Sankofa Video Books and Cafe. Resistance is a highway with many lanes, and we hope you find yours. Take care, folks. <laughs>